distro hopping. The idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony, and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, Episode 17, recorded on the 4th of November, 2020. This episode, we're joined by our friend Dale Miracle, who will be reviewing Ghost BSD. Tony is reviewing KOS, and I'll be taking a peek at Pop OS. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, Suzy, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gentoo-based distros. We are keeping our distance, but we're in your ears right now. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. I had all my teeth pulled and was given a temporary denture, which is why I'm talking funny. But first of all, let's check in with Dale, who's making his first live appearance on our show. Since episode 16 was posted, I was on vacation during the last two weeks of September. As far as my computer-related activities go... I finished trying out Manjaro Plasma on my Lenovo T430. It was installed for a couple months. I'm very pleased with it. Then I installed GhostBSD and have been trying it out. I finally decided to cancel my cable TV service. I installed an outdoor antenna and reused the coax that Spectrum was using for my TV service. The only additional items I needed was a four-port powered splitter. I now have about 56 channels, mostly in HD. So between the -the over-the-air TV, YouTube, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, and my Plex Media Server, I have plenty to watch at quite a bit of savings. Now back to you, Moss. Thanks, Dale. I was given a workstation from one of our listeners, which I refer to as the Fuzz Z400. This machine features a quad-core Xeon processor at 3.20 gigahertz, an NVIDIA FX1500 video card, and 16 gigs of RAM, and it has been outfitted with my half-terabyte SSD with six working partitions. Many thanks to Owen Peary, a.k.a. Fuzzy P, for the donation. Episode 15 exceeded 600 downloads, but now stands at 584. We have no idea what happened at archive.org, but if you want to donate to them, and we would love you if you love you too if you can, ask them about it. <laughs> when we started the show, we were sort of expecting around 100 listeners, and the 300 plus we've been getting has been quite heartwarming, and now our per show average is around 440. We're getting quite giddy. Anything new for you, Tony? 
Yeah, hi Moss. Um, well, since the last show, my health's not been uh, the best, and uh, it's. Uh, I've got to say it's affected my preparation for this month's show, although I did manage to pick a distro and do some testing. And I was, uh, when I wrote the show notes, I was writing it on, uh, partly writing it on the machine that I've uh, got that OS installed on. Uh, currently, England, where I live in the UK, is just about to go into a further month of severe lockdown due to the re-escalating COVID crisis. And although at the moment this is for a month, it could be extended further uh, if things don't improve. Hopefully it won't be, because otherwise that will mean Christmas is a total no-go. <laughs> no um so at the moment, it's going to be back to only being allowed to leave the house for limited reasons like health appointments or going to the chemist or doing your shopping and for outdoor exercise. And that starts again at midnight tonight. Uh, nothing new, particularly in the way of technology this month, although I did install Windows 10 onto my Dell Latitude E6540 so that a friend could borrow it while uh, waiting to order a new laptop. I've not heard how she's got on with it, but uh, she wanted a friend to come around and uh, install some some bits of software and set it up for her. And because of the COVID, that, uh, COVID situation might, might be delayed, so... Anyway, so shall I pass over to you, Moss, and we'll start the uh, update section? Okay. Updates where we discussed what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. All flavors, official and unofficial, of Ubuntu have had updates as part of the 20.10 cycle. This will affect many other Ubuntu-based distros along the way, except for those entirely based on LTS. Bode 6.0 is in pre-release alpha and has some nice features, although they really could use more help. If anyone is interested, contact widely at the Bode forum. Dale, has anything caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us? Well, I checked on Slack and there has been no updates. They're still at 7.3. There's a lot of chatter in the Solus forums, I've noticed, about it trailing in kernel updates. Not sure about what's going on about that yet. It's still on 5.6, which uh, is not going to go well for my new upgrade. I bought a Ryzen 9 3900X and an MSI X570A Pro motherboard. Ooh. And... and uh, I was chatting in the uh, Mintcast group and uh, CryptoDan. He had mentioned that you're going to have to have at least 5.7, 5.8, which I knew it was going to be up around that that kernel version. So, yeah, that's not going to uh, help me. So I think I'm going to do uh, Manjaro uh, Plasma. And the other update from uh, Solus was they have updated the version to 5.8. 20.1 and it has nice little uh, updates and goodies in it. The plasma version, yeah. So that's about all I have. Okay, how about you, Tony? Yeah, well, as most of the, the listeners will be aware, Mint 20 blocked the ability to install Snap, uh, SnapD uh, with a little bit of um, 
which you can get around with a little bit changes to the block file it can be overcome uh, this was due to canonical only making chromium available as a snap package which uh, the mint devs didn't like well the mint team have now got around and packaged chromium as a deb and put this in the mint repositories so if you do wish uh, don't wish to use snaps but you do want to use chromium this is now available again in mint 20 so go check that out and Fedora 33 has now uh, released the uh, uh, final version of the ISO, so you can now uh, download that, uh, and it's available for all the different flavours. So if you're still on Fedora 31, it's time to update to either 32 or 33, as support for 31 is about to uh, stop receiving any uh, updates at all, security or otherwise. So, uh, and that could be have already stopped by the time you listen to this. So get cracking and get updating. So that's about it for me. Shall we move on to our first distro review? Right, let's move on to our first distro of the month, KOS. Tony. Yay, so it's me again. So, for information, this month's installation was done uh, as a sole install, which I'll talk about shortly, on my Toshiba Portage Z30. Uh, specifications are in the show notes, but it's an i5 with two cores uh, and four threads, uh, and I've got 108, uh, 128 gig M2 SSD in it and 8 gig of DDR3 RAM. So, on first boot, uh, to to the installation media um, I connected to local Wi-Fi which is always good so that shows that was working I was a, I was away at the time so it was uh, it wasn't my my Wi-Fi here at home so it was a bit slower um, but uh, everything went me out out a hitch uh, I opened the installer which is calamaris so that was a, a good plus to start off with. Uh, and I navigated through the menu, setting up location, keyboard and everything until I got to the partitioning section, which is where things started to go a bit wrong because I decided to try and do a dual boot on the machine and I selected the partition side. I went for the dual boot option, selected the partition side, etc. After completing the remainder of the setup process, I clicked install and after a few minutes it failed, saying there was no installation media. Nothing I did would allow me to inst uh, the install to continue, so I booted back into the live disk to check if the disk had been partitioned. And it had, although no file system had been created on the space allocated for the install. As after several more failed attempts and having to re-format re uh, the drive again, I just opted to do a whole disk install and finally successful in getting a working K uh, KOS. So... Later, I realised that uh, KOS uses the XFS file system, and this may have been the reason behind the issues of being unable to install the dual boot, as the other OS that was already installed on the machine was EXT4. Um, so I probably needed to do a custom install to mix the two file systems. But... Um, yeah, so uh, I didn't get around to doing that, but that was uh, that might have been the issue. But anyway, uh, it finally worked as a solo install, so uh, I did manage to get the uh, OS installed. Post-installation hardware, 
well, there was no issues once it booted back into the installed OS. I was able to uh, complete uh, the minimal amount of um, updates that were required because they do release uh, uh, an ISO fairly regularly as it's a a rolling release based on uh, Pac-Man repositories. So no no issues uh, as far as hardware. So ease of use. Uh, on first boot, the taskbar is placed vertically on the right of the screen, which <laughs> that's that threw me a little bit. If it was vertical, I was expecting it to be on the left, considering we le- re- read left to right. But no, it was on the right of the screen. And it took me a little while to uh, figure out how to move the panel back to the uh, bottom, which is where I prefer it. But if you click on the uh, panel and go into panel settings, you finally find a little uh, icon which allows you to grab and move the panel to a different screen edge so it it just uh, tells you you can move it around so i did this moved it to the bottom and finally got it to uh, where i like it with the menu on the left hand side etc as far as ease of use goes uh, once this was done it's fine. Uh, my my benchmark really is how easy is it to install software and access your programs, and the second one is um, how easy is it to to navigate menus and things and find the software that you need. So as far as the first one goes, um, I'll come back to it in a minute. But there was no issues as far as the menu. This was a very clear and easy to navigate, and also has a search function. However, as far as software goes, uh, it's an in- KOS is an independent distribution, and it uses the Pac-Man, uh, Pac-Man as the package management system. And this is where things started to fall down. I'm not able to install SnapD, which doesn't seem to be available for this distro in the package system. Uh, it may be available to download and install as, you know, um, compile yourself, etc. I'm not sure. But anyway, I used Snap uh, as a way of installing one of my regularly used pieces of software. And again, the only way I could find to do that would have been to install the uh, code and compile it myself, which uh, even as a seasoned Linux user, I'm not able to do. So that kind of hit on the ease of use for me. When we come to application issues, um, given that you know slight issue of not having access to all the software I wanted because of this issue, the most of the software, regular software I used, was available. Uh, all my podcast production software was available, photo and graphic software I use, and I eventually managed to find a, an app image of Zoom, which is n- not available in the repos either. So I was able to install that without having to resort to compiling it myself, <laughs> which was helpful. Um, so, you know, in on the whole, you know, applications... They're all available. Most of them are available through the repos, or there's the odd one that you may have to install via app image, etc. Memory use, well, Plasma over the years, uh, year, last year or two has become very good with memory management. 
and at boot this system was using around about 350 megabyte of RAM and with Firefox open with three tabs it's around 1.6 gig so pretty good considering this is an 8 gig system I wasn't going to be worried about memory uh, just for day to day use uh, obviously with uh, using powerful software that might have been different but that wasn't the purpose of this test after installing all the regular software that i use the system was using just under 14 gig of the hard disk leaving just over 100 gig of data uh, of space for data and uh, anything else that i wanted to install post installation so that was good ease of finding help as I said at the top of the show, I've not been very well, so uh, I've not done a lot of research on the web regarding some of my issues. But there is a very good documentation page, documentation page on the KO uh, OS website, and you also have the ArchWiki to help with package management um, on the system. So apart from the community access, which I can't comment on as I've not uh, been in communication with the community... Um, I would uh, think finding answers to issues should be fairly he easy. Uh, well, like I say, um, I've not had a long time to play around with it. Plays nice with others. It didn't. So, <laughs> like I say, couldn't get a dual, uh, dual boot system set up and installed. Um, and if it was a file system issue, this might be beyond a lot of just ordinary regular Linux users. So... Uh, you know, that, I think maybe they need to have a look at that. Stability. Well, this is where KOS uh, scores well. The system's been rock solid. And even after an update, after over two weeks of the system not being used, it went very smoothly without a hitch. And I've not had any problems with the system. So my ratings. Uh, ease of installation. I've marked it down for new user-friendly install. Uh, as 5 out of 10 because if they wanted to do a dual boot and came across the same issues with me then they were going to struggle uh, I've given it 5 because if it was just a straight install it's not a problem with Calamaris it's a fairly good uh, installer experienced Linux users I've given it 7 out of 10 hardware issues didn't have any so I've given that 10 out of 10 ease of finding help I've given it 8 out of 10 because I know that they've got the, uh, a good uh, website and, um, you know, they've got a good tutor, you know, place to find things on the web. And the ArchWiki should uh, give you answers to things you might not be able to find on their own website. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Uh, and I've marked it down a little bit because of the problems I had at the, uh, with uh, installing software and some of the software not necessarily being uh, available. Plays nice with others. I've given it a zero, big fat zero, because <laughs> I can't, you know, I haven't tested it out doing it the other way around, but uh, the way around I was trying to do it, um, it didn't work. So stability, as I said, no problems there, so I've given it 10 out of 10. Uh, my overall rating for this distro, uh, given the problems I had with the install and a little bit with software, I've given it 7, and 7 out of 10. So similar distros, uh, I would go for one of the friendly, friendly Arch spins with the Plasma desktop. 
such as Endeavor OS, Manjaro, Arco Linux, Archman. There's a few out there that you could probably uh, look at. Um, and Moss has probably got half a dozen in his head that he could talk about. No, I'm good for now. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Moss. <laughs> uh, so my final comments. So in the time I used the OS... After in, uh, initial uh, issues of trying to dual beat, I was pleasantly surprised at how slick an OS it was. I think if I was to spend a little bit more time getting to understand some of the difficulties this has as an independent OS, I think I could get to like it. I definitely think I should look at this again in the future. Maybe give it 12 months or so and then look at uh, the latest version and see if the devs have done any any more uh, tweaks to it and make it a bit more friendly. Uh, and I think it re- it deserves a bit more respect. And uh, so uh, if I review it again on the show, that that'll be why. Be interesting to see if now I've got it installed... Whether if I do it the other way around and install another OS and try to dual boot that uh, to see if it worked that way around, whether the other OS would would actually install alongside chaos uh, chaos and uh, whether that that could be an issue because of the conflicting in the file systems. Yeah, but uh, yeah, on the whole, yeah, not too bad. So Dale. What uh, what have you got to say about Ghost BSD? Well, I thought I would, I guess you could say, take a break from Linux and take a look and see what our friends in BSD land have to offer. So, like Tony said, I'll be reviewing Ghost BSD. It is based on FreeBSD 12.2 stable. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, I think they are testing FreeBSD 13 right now, but I believe the current is uh, 12.2. I'm going to give you a brief overview because some of you may not even know what FreeBSD or the BSDs are at all. This is because it dates back over 50 years to about 1969, 1971 is when it... uh, when uh, AT&T Unix started. But anyways, FreeBSD is a descendant of BSD. And BSD is a descendant of the original Unix operating system that AT&T's Bell Labs created. The uh, BSD stands for Berkeley Software Distribution. That name comes from uh, the Berkeley campus at the University of California. Uh, some developers from Bell Labs uh, did some teaching at the university and as uh, I don't know if you want to call them computer hobbyists but they were uh, trying to develop software for some of the systems that the university had so that's how they created uh, the uh, software based on that because they took you know, the code from what they had and adapted it. So FreeBSD's initial release was November 1st, 1993. It's about 27 years ago. It's the year I graduated high school. Good grief, has it been that long? Alrighty. Boy, I feel old. (laughs) The BSDs are very similar to Linux, but they do have their differences. 
the directory structure, the terminal, and the graphical interface are very comparable. The main difference is that BSD maintains every aspect of the project. They provide the kernel, device drivers, user land utilities, and documentation. In contrast, Linux is a kernel with included drivers. The software and the documentation is maintained by third-party developers like Canonical and Red Hat and OpenSUSE and uh, Linux Mint does uh, downstream from Debian and uh, the Ubuntu uh, variants do their own take on it. I have a question, Dale. Yes. If BSD maintains every aspect of the project, what makes one BSD different from another BSD? Well, it's part of the soft. I guess you could say it's part of the software freedom aspect of open source, because uh, this can be a, um, turtles, um, as uh, Leo would say, because the history of of Unix in general is. I mean, you, I could talk an hour just on what I read about the history of it, and basically they just take and uh, not to get into the politics of it with uh, interpersonal um, disputes between team members, but I know uh, originally there was the uh, FreeBSD, and then they had NetBSD. And one of the developers on NetBSD, uh, Theo Durat, he had some type of disagreement or had some type of issue with the uh, NetBSD development team. And he forked off and created OpenBSD. And then uh, some people, uh, when they created like DragonflyBSD or GhostBSD or any of the other... Um, I guess TrueOS until um, it was uh, t taken in by uh, IX Systems to create their FreeNAS product. With FreeBSD, the it's sort of like the uh, arch of the BSD world because when you install um, it, you pretty much boot up and get a, a terminal. You have to install everything yourself, so that's pretty much the gist of it. So, my hardware. I am using a Lenovo ThinkPad T430. It has an Intel i5-3320 mobile processor, 4 gigs of RAM, and a 240 gig SSD. The installation. The distro uses a Mate 1.2 uh, desktop environment. They also have a community edition that uses uh, XFCE. The installation is very similar to Linux. You download the ISO, write it to a USB stick. Upon boot up, you'll be in a live environment like you do with other uh, Linux distributions. You just uh, click on the uh, installer icon on the desktop, and then you get your typical uh, questions like what language you want, the keyboard, what your time zone is. Um, then you have the file system choices. And in the BSD world, you have UFS or ZFS. And ZFS is the default. It uh, One of the big claims to fame is you can roll back 
changes to an installation. So when you do a big system change, it will do what it's called a snapshot or um, for in this case, they uh, call them boot environments when it uh, applies to uh, things that uh, require the system to boot. And the next screen, you select what drive you want to install to, um, which is your uh, partition type, your uh, swap file, and the name of the pool name, which is what ZFS calls their, uh, what they name their disks in the, um, when you have multiple. But in this case, I only had one. Then you create the user accounts, the root, and your user. After that, the installation will copy the files. It's, it took no longer than a regular uh, Linux install, maybe about 10 minutes or so, depending on how fast your computer is. And I didn't have any uh, issues during the installation. And after reboot, I didn't have any hardware issues. The screen was at the native resolution and the mouse was working. I clicked on the Wi-Fi icon in the uh, top panel and filled out my information and it connected to my Wi-Fi without any issues. I connected to my Samba server and was able to read some PDFs and some Office documents that I have on it. I did have two issues. I couldn't play any videos off of my Samba share, which uh, is my Plex Media server that I have Samba uh, installed to uh, move new uh, content onto it. I tried both VLC and MPV, but it complained about the fuse mount not responding, which is odd because as I previously mentioned, I was able to open up Office documents, PDF files, you know, other, you know, audio files. I, I don't know what the uh, problem was. And uh, I think Oh, maybe a couple weeks after I installed this, it uh, some update screwed some software components for, I think it was some components in Mate got screwed up for some reason. And uh, I did an update uh, not too long ago, and all the errors went away, and it's been perfectly fine. Now, for the uh, ease of use, if you've used Mate on Linux before, you'll be right at home. It looks just like you're running Linux. Um, you wouldn't even tell the difference if you just walked up behind me and looked over my shoulder. You'd be thinking I'm running just one of the many, you know, Linux distros that use Mate. There are software centers called the Software Station, and it's again very similar to what you would have in any other Linux distro. You can search for the package, you check the box, click and you know, install. Um, it's available in the uh, administration menu in Mate. And then they have the update station in that same area. That's where you get all your updates for the uh, for the uh, install. Your printer center, printer settings are also there as well. And uh, GhostBSD uses CUPS, which is what uh, a lot of the BSDs use, like Apple will use it on uh, Mac OS. And, uh, Linux distributions will use CUPS as well. Though I don't think this one is as current as others because I could not find my printer. But I found over the years that if you find 
a similar model, at least like mine's a multifunctional printer. So I found another multifunctional printer and it was able to work. So I have a LaserJet 100 MFP and I selected the uh, LaserJet CM353, which is another multifunctional printer. And it's mostly due because they use the same postscript driver along with other functionality for like checking toner levers, levels and uh, ink levels. I only needed to change a couple settings. One was uh, fit to page because it was like blown up when I did the first couple test pages. And I also found out that it was set to A4, which is a European letter standard or paper size. And I changed it to the U.S. letter size and everything printed out after that was fine. And I was surprised the uh, applications were pretty current um, compared to Linux. Uh, Firefox was at version 82. VOC was at 3.0.11, which is what I have on my, uh, my current Solus install. And LibreOffice really surprised me. It was at 7.0.22. There are some Linux distributions that don't even have uh, version 7 yet. And the memory usage was kind of a challenging one because some of the commands in BSD are not the same in uh, Linux. There is no free uh, memory command. So I had to use top and uh, found out that it was using about 726 megabytes on boot. With normal usage with Telegram open and Firefox open, you could expect to use around one and a half to two gigs. And uh, the install on disk was about 10 and a half gigs. I don't really install a lot of uh, software. I usually do um, put a virtualization software on there, but uh, I didn't because uh, I didn't think of even testing it on the, uh, on the laptop. But that's uh, pretty uh, spelt or smelt for, uh, for an install at just under 11 gigs. I didn't seek out any help from them, but their website does have a wiki that has a lot of good information about uh, BSD in general and on um, how to install and some common installation problems. They do have a forum and they do have a telegram group. Now, I didn't try to dual boot this. Um, I did do some searching just curious of uh, what it would take to do that and from what I've read it can be a bit challenging because apparently there are some uh, incompatibilities between the bootloader that uh, the BSDs use versus um, the grub and uh, system D type booting that uh, Linux uses so I didn't even attempt that as far as stability goes I mean it is rock solid as uh, any Debian or uh, Ubuntu uh, distributions. I mean, uh, FreeBSD, if my memory serves me correctly, I think Netflix uses it to serve content. Um, I believe Sony has used it in their PlayStations. Um, there are some other com well-known companies that have used uh, FreeBSD. So it's kind of hard to say what distros you could check out that are similar because you could say that a lot of the BSDs are kind of one-off, even though they do share all the all the uh, kernel and user land packages. I think if you wanted 
to appreciate how much work the devs did put into GhostBSD, try installing FreeBSD because, like as I said before, when you install FreeBSD, you're left at the terminal prompt, and it's up to you to install the graphical interface and everything. So I really have to give them a lot of credit for all the work that they did for uh, for putting uh, a well uh, implemented uh, system on first boot and my ratings well these were kind of hard for me to to uh, do because new users I mean are they new users coming from Windows or are they new users that have some Linux experience you know and those are both two complicated things because once you learn Linux stuff you have to relearn some things because there are not trick comparisons and from windows i would say coming from windows it'll be equally as as challenging for some if they were to use linux so with that said i would give a new user seven out of ten because it is a point and click type of install and as as long as you follow the defaults you're going to be okay an experienced user you're going to have nine out of ten it's basically just going to be nomenclature problems where you're going to have to figure out what they mean by UFS or ZFS. You, know, you just have to do some Googling. Hardware issues, I'd say 9 out of 10. I, I don't want to say 10 out of 10 because uh, this was only one computer. So I don't know if uh, anyone else would have any problems, but I didn't. So um, I didn't really find any uh, help needed, so I can't really rate on that. And uh, the ease of use, it's pretty much like you're using Linux. I mean, on, on this, as long as you don't go into the terminal, which I really didn't have to. I installed everything through the graphical interface and did all the operations on the GUI itself. Um, so I'd give that 8 out of 10. The plays nice with others. Um, like I said, I didn't try to do a booting it at all, so I can't really comment on that. But the stability, yeah, the, the stability, I mean, I didn't have any problems so with all that said I'd probably say an overall rating of, of probably seven just because it's going to be learning something completely different in some aspects um, and as I previously mentioned compared to my experience with FreeBSD GhostBSD was just like installing a Linux distribution like Ubuntu or Mint I would say if you can install Ubuntu or Mint you'll be able to install GhostBSD as long as you stick with the default settings, which which is what I did. It's all point and click. Once uh, booted into Mate, you will not notice any difference. Um, where there could be some paper cuts is software availability. Um, I didn't really look for a lot of them. I did see like Zoom was listed, but they had an odd comment on there and I didn't try it. But they said that you could have audio problems and i think with a you know voip chat system where you needed to talk to people i think not being able to talk or hear might be an issue so um another one would be like i said the directory structure and the commands which are somewhat simpler to linux but in other cases um they're completely different and you'd have to learn something completely new um so that's about it, and uh, now I'm going to hand it over to you, boss. Okay, thank you, Dale. Well, I'm going to review Pop! OS 20.04 and 2010. 
I installed it as 2004 and it rolled and I rolled with it. This is an Ubuntu spin with their own extensions of GNOME. Some call it the perfect Linux for gamers, but you know I won't be able to verify this. It is, however, native to my System76 Kudu 3 machine. It has some interesting extras and may be what you're looking for if GNOME is your idea of a good desktop. My laptop is a 2014 model System76 Kudu 3 with a 17.3-inch screen, an i7 processor, and Intel graphics, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 1TB SSD. Installation ease and issues. Pop installed just like any other Ubuntu and uses the Ubiquity installer. There are some interesting differences in the boot, but my machine ignored them, perhaps because it is a System76. It was also an unexpected boon to be prompted that there was new firmware for my laptop, and that installed easily as well. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. I hate the default wallpaper, so I changed it. I did not understand many of the new icons, but discovered what they were later. It appears to have many of its own hotkeys, again, to be discovered. Ease of use, I have said before that I greatly dislike GNOME 3. I had a hard time figuring out what the workflow actually was, because taking the desktop as is from using other desktops, it appears to take three to four clicks to do what one click does elsewhere. Then I found the hotkeys almost by accident. And then I chose to look at the Pop Shell, an i3-like GNOME extension included with this OS, so now I have a very usable desktop if I totally forget everything I even liked in a desktop and try to learn this one. But everything works, and it's all aptitude and deb packages. Even so, unless you're really used to GNOME and also want to learn new things, there is clearly a learning curve to using this distro. Memory use. Pop uses a custom GNOME, so I was quite surprised when Stacer reported using only 812 megabytes of RAM. I will admit to not having checked other memory issues. Ease of finding help. There is little in life easier than finding help from System76. This, customer, this company employs a director of happiness, and that permeates the entire company. It's why they make so many great machines and why they can sell them at premium prices. Beyond that, it's still Ubuntu at heart, and help is always a Google search away or a dive into an Ubuntu forum. Plays nice with others, being as it has Ubiquity installer, I could even forego it stealing my grub at installation. I've had no experiences of conflict. I actually expected to have issues with the different bootloader, but did not. Stability. You're tired of hearing us say this. I know you are. It's as stable as Ubuntu, and very few things are more stable. Similar distros to check out. Hmm? Ubuntu, Fedora, Mint. <laughs> Pick it. Um, make sure you're using GNOME. Ease of installation, new user 8 out of 10, experience user 10 out of 10, hardware issues 10 plus out of 10. And the plus is because I even got extra hardware updates that I would not have gotten in another distro. Ease of finding help in the community and on the web is 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. There is a learning curve. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is 9 out of 10. My final comments, I'm intrigued by what I've had to learn to use this distro, and I probably still haven't gotten near to plumbing all its depths. I am also appreciative of the easy firmware updates from my laptop, available other places, but instantly so from this distro. I'm keeping this around, but it could be a while before I start looking forward to using it. Let's move on to new releases. 
new releases since last episode. <laughs> From September 14th to November 4th, Blue Star 5.9.3, Pardus 19.4, Emabuntus DE3-103, Absolute 2020-1103, Libre Elect 9.2.6 for all you people using Cody on your Raspberry Pis, Arch 2020.11.01, Archbang 0111, I wonder if that's binary, Voyager Live 20.10, Open Indiana 2020.10, the only current Open Solaris or Solaris version. Nitrix 2020.11.01, Linux Lite 5.2, Swift 19.2.2, KDE Neon 2020.10.29, Snarl 1.0, FreeBSD 12.2, NixOS 20.09, Fedora 33, Gparthead Live 1.1.0-6, IP Fire 2.25 Core 151, Fugolta 6.8, B Free 2020-10-25, Live Rizo 11.20.10.21, Redo 3.0.2, Risk OS 5.28, Pop OS 20.10. All official Ubuntu flavors 20.10 plus Ubuntu Unity. I think Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix also got the update. Septor 2020.5, Alpine 3.12.1, OSMC 2020-10-1, Xtix 20.10, System Rescue 7.11, OSMC 2020.10-1, Scientific 7.9, Tails 4.12, NetBSD 9.1, Twiskwell 9.0, CAE Linux 2020 Lite, OpenBSD 6.8, Kodachi 7.3, Archman 2020-10, Ultimate 6.7 Developer KDE, Redo Rescue 3.0.0, RescueZilla 2.0, Parthead Magic 2020 Underline 10 Underline 12, Porteous Kiosk 5.1.0, Garuda Linux 21007, Oracle Linux 7.9, Runtu 20.0.1 Lite, Sparky Linux 4.13, 4M Linux 35.0, Enso OS 0.4, KOS 2020.09, Endeavor OS 2020.09.20. All right, feedback. We've had quite a few nice comments on our Telegram groups, our own Mintcast and Linux Mint users for the most part. I haven't seen anything to report on in the email. What about you, Tony? Uh, I've got to say, I haven't checked. Uh, if you mm. give me a couple of minutes, I could. <laughs> Let me go and have a look, see if there's anything I've missed. I don't think there is, because I have been checking fairly re- regular. I haven't checked today, that's all. Ooh. Ooh? Ooh, 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 ooh. yeah, just a minute. Ha-ha. Um, Mike F., uh, left a comment on doo, 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 about Linux Mint uh, 20. Uh, it's not come through on the email, so I'd have to go and check the website. 
Apologies, Mike. We will uh, go and check that out and we'll look for it on... Uh, and we'll put it in the show for the next time. Okay. Because it's not, it's not come through on the email. Normally they come through on the email. Well, let's move ahead Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors or by direct donation to sponsors or PayPal. I have one recurring sponsor. Many thanks to SK Beans for joining up. I'm very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. Uh, Dale, if they'd like to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, I'm on Telegram as, uh, I think it's Dale underscore cdl i believe and i can be reached on email as uh, dmiracle74 at gmail.com if you're in the uh distro hoppers group on telegram or the mintcast i usually hang out there okay we would like to thank the mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room our next show will be recorded on or about december 3rd 2020 right the day before my birthday. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. You can contact either Tony or me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Before we go, we would also like to thank all those who make this project possible starting with the Mintcast podcast team for allowing us to use their Mumble server, archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program, Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show, Joshua Lowe for work on our logo, all those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkit, and for all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord channel and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next episode. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.